You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome in. It is Sunday night, May 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2021. Late kick on the air. We've got a jam-packed show. As I've told you, as I've said many times, I'm going to continue to say it, a college football renaissance, I believe, is just down the road a hundred and... Let's call it 23 days. Got feedback in my ear, by the way, if anyone can hear me. So we've got several rapid reactions to the Oregon spring game tonight, to the Notre Dame spring game tonight. I got lots of college football-related NFL draft coverage. So it's not an NFL draft show, but I got a lot of stuff that is related to the college football sphere, as we like to call it. Uh, It's a truth-teller. Boy, that draft is a truth-teller in a lot of good ways, in some less desirable ways, but we're going to hit all those ways tonight. Alabama's 2017 class, I got some numbers that will make you be the mind-blown emoji. Incredible stuff. And a reminder about the 2021 class, too. Our Instagram feed continues to grow, at Late Kick Josh. Thank you so much for following there. Twitter, same deal, at Late Kick Josh. The two most popular messages I've been getting every week for about the last month and a half is, number one, I told my buddy about you, or my buddy told me about you, and that's how I found your show. So thank you for that, because as I tell you all the time, you are the marketing department. We don't really have a Late Kick marketing department. It's you. So we uh, we have... $3.50 pumped into the marketing budget because you take care of it. And the second thing that I hear, and I can I really encourage you to keep giving me this, is here is where I listen to the show or here's where I watch the show. Now, full disclosure, right now there's a major war going on between FedEx and UPS, but it has nothing to do with shipping, really. I have been counting, and we're in the 50s for both, so it's neck and neck. It's crazy. It's almost like both of these companies are equal size. UPS drivers, FedEx drivers. I've been getting hit up one after the other. It's like it's a ping pong game. It just alternates. I drive UPS routes and I listen. Well, I drive FedEx routes and I listen. Had a pilot the other day. Doesn't listen while he's in the plane, mind you, but listens while he's on the clock. Can't give you his name for obvious reasons, but man, it's been fun. So at Late Kick Josh, Twitter, Instagram, we got a jam-packed show. I got some other stuff to get to, odds and ends. I'll do it as we go on tonight. So the NFL Draft. NFL draft in the books. One thing that I am prepared to do around here, as you see on election night sometimes, is I'm prepared to call something. Sometimes there's a lot of hyperbole pumped into this stuff. You got your winners, you got your losers, you got your early mock drafts for 2022. Well, we're doing none of that. But I was talking to Jesse earlier today, and I was talking to Director Emeritus Colin right before we went on air. And there's one thing that I feel is no longer a matter of opinion, I feel it's a matter of fact. And what I want to do is I don't want you to just take my word for it. Sometimes I ask you to do that. Tonight, not necessary. And what it all boils down to is this whole argument about conference superiority, conference supremacy, and which one is here and which one is there. So I had our crew put together over the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 drafts. Jesse, I can't even remember what the timeline was. Which conference had the most players drafted? And so what I found was there was some commonality and there were some themes, and dare I say there was even a trend. So, Jesse, if we have that, let's go ahead and show that. The conferences, not just the teams, 
not just individuals, but conferences overall, with the most players drafted. And here's what I want you to do. If you're watching on YouTube, you can follow along with me. We start in 2007, okay? And what happened was the SEC had the most players drafted. And then 2008 happened, and 09. And I think, yeah, let's go ahead and put 2010 in there. So in 2010, they also had the most players drafted. So from 07 to 2010, SEC leads the way. But then it really picks up steam. And so 2011 through 15, it's the SEC every single year. And so I start to think, uh, there may possibly could be something to this. But maybe you're still not convinced. And so for good measure, they just ran off another string of 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. So right now, I am prepared to call this as the SEC being the dominant conference in college football. What we have right now is 07 to 2020, 21. I mean, everywhere in between, it's, it's the SEC leading the way. So I thank you for putting that together, Jesse. Here's the hard truth number one on the show tonight. Either the NFL is in on this whole SEC bias thing that a lot of you fill my inbox with on a weekly basis, or... It's true. It's kind of like that movie Signs. Either it's the most elaborate hoax ever devised, or it's for real. I think it's for my opinion. It's for real. Could still be a hoax, but I think it's for real. The rank, here's what I'm talking about. So a lot of you don't buy into this, and I just want you to sit there for 45 seconds and just laugh along with me, but I get a lot of folks who fill the inbox and fill up the eye, Josh, on a weekly basis, especially in the season when we maybe talk about some SEC programs disproportionate to the rest of the country on the show. Or if you run a major website out there, or you run a major network, and you talk about maybe the SEC a little bit disproportionate, it's, it's bias. If you're a playoff committee member and you may rank three or four SEC teams in the top ten, it's, it's just bias. Well, it's bias towards good. They're just better right now. Could change, but as we've seen, it's not a two- or three-year deal. It's not a flash in the pan. They're better and they care more. So I always ask this, and it's a very calm response. I normally don't even capitalize the first letter of the sentence when I respond. That's how calm I am. When I respond to you guys who say that, I just say, how would you do it any different? Now, all I can control is our show, but I ask about our show. What would you do differently? If you were to talk, let's say, LSU or Georgia or Florida, and then you were to talk no disrespect, I'm picking teams out of thin air, TCU, Arizona State, and Washington, and you saw the traffic patterns, and it leaned six to one ratio, one side versus the other, what would you do? Because I'm beholden to you, not the other way around, so I'm just taking the show wherever it is you want, it, you want me to take it. But it's really easy to look and see that chart and what it indicates, right? But here's the pushback I get. Now, this is where it gets fun. Okay, so now we don't just take the what, we want to dive into the why. What is the NFL draft telling us? If I heard this once this weekend, I heard it a thousand times. Well, it's really easy to dominate and get all the talent when it's in your backyard. I'm going to grant you it's easier, but I don't know if it's just easy. Like that's the end-all, be-all, and that is the only pillar that you need standing in that quest of yours to be a dominant football program. Because then I have Jesse and the fine folks up in Connecticut right now I had them put together another graphic, and I said, guys, can we please go find the states that is producing, states, plural, so that are producing the most high school talent? And you want to know what we found? A really mixed bag. So let's take a look at the states producing the most high school talent, and then you tell me if you see a theme right here, because you know who dominates recruiting, but then we look at Florida. This is counting the kids at IMG Academy, by the way, so they're from all over the country. Florida leading the way. Texas, they're at number two. Georgia, number three. California, number four. So I asked this question. Um, what about that chart 
indicates that having talent in your backyard alone is what makes it so easy to dominate. Because I look at what Alabama's doing right now, and I look at what Ohio State's doing. I look at, in a lot of cases, what Clemson's doing. Not only do they largely own their in-state recruiting, but if you look at that state at the top, Florida, if you look at that state in the number two spot, Texas, and you look at that state in the number four spot, which is California, wouldn't you know it? Alabama and Ohio State, and in some cases Clemson, they're doing more in those states than the University of Texas and USC are, and a lot of the schools in the state of Florida. Florida, Miami, Florida State, we've been well documenting this on this program. It'd be one thing if Bama locked down Alabama. It'd be one thing if Ohio State locked down Ohio. They're out recruiting Texas and Texas. They out recruit a lot of the Florida schools in Florida. Look at the quarterbacks, just the quarterback position alone. That is the ignition that's the, very, that's the very focal point on which a lot of these programs are built. DJ Uyangalale is going to start Clemson this year. What state do you think he's from? Bryce Young's going to start at Bama this year. JT Daniels is going to start at Georgia. Where do you think they came from? They didn't come from Peach County and um, Roanoke, Alabama, and Connolly, South Carolina, respectively. That's not where they came from. They came from way over there in that, um, that state. I think we had listed number, what, four right there, California, 19. So here's what I'm asking again, and here's what I continue to take away from the NFL draft. Everyone, it seems, at least that talks to me, wants some more balance in college football, and a lot of people are searching for that elusive P word, that parody. Watch out. Parody. That's the P word that they've been searching for. And so you've got some people who say, if we expand the playoff, that'll give it to us. I disagree, but reasonable minds can do that. Some other people say, if we lower the total scholarship limit, that'll do it. I totally disagree. But again, reasonable minds, like in an argument, someone has to be wrong. I'm happy to let you be that person in that argument. But here's what I would like to ask you. Let's say we didn't change anything else about the sport. And let's just say that USC got their act together. Or let's say Texas got their act together. A&M's doing a pretty decent job of it. Oklahoma's doing a good job recruiting Texas for Texas. But let's say the Longhorns got their act together. Let's say the Gators, Seminoles, and Hurricanes got their act together. Let's say we changed nothing else about college football but just the big boys in the state of Florida and Texas and California got their act together. What would that do? Well, number one, it would inject way more balance, naturally, might I add, and parity, naturally, might I add, than you trying to reverse engineer it through changing a postseason format. That's not going to do anything. We talked about that a million times. Some of you are going to have to learn that the hard way, unfortunately. But as long as you have Saban and Ryan Day and Dabo coming into your state, in some cases having to fly four or five hours to do so, and outworking you in your own backyard, what's a postseason format change? What's that going to do? It's not going to do anything. So if you want, again, as we talked about before, more balance in the sport, shift your attention towards hiring better, and then shift your attention towards looking at these schools like, for instance, USC, like, for instance, Texas, like, for instance, Florida, Miami, Florida State. I'm not saying they're hanging out in the 60s in the recruiting rankings, but what I'm telling you is when we just showed you that chart where all the talent's coming from, there's no excuse for them not to be dominating. And there's especially, doubly and triply no excuse, for a program in Columbus, Ohio, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to be coming into Texas or coming into California and taking the talent that's right in your backyard. Do you think those kids grew up wanting to move 2,000 miles away from home? Or is it much more likely that the only viable scenario that they see to maximum development just happens to be one or 2,000 miles away from home? You fix that, and you fix a lot of your parity problems in college football. Now, before we move on here, 
on 247sports.com right now, if you're watching the live show, if you're listening to the recorded show, you could probably go find this. Steve Wolfong, as we know him around here, Uncle Wolfong, did a really good article, and it's a feature about his takeaways, winners and losers, as you probably uh, would refer to it, of not, not National Signing Day, of uh, the NFL draft. And he was talking about several programs. I'll let you go read the article. But one thing that stood out to me was Michigan. Talked about a lot of these other programs. Michigan stood out to me. Uh, Michigan continues to pump out NFL draft picks. I got the numbers here. They had 10, let's see, 10, okay, that's, that's right. So 10 drafted last year, eight more drafted this year. So 18 guys have been drafted out of Michigan, not signed, drafted out of Michigan the last two years. And the results just don't feel like they match up. Some of these programs, it falls right in line. You look at the top, which programs pumped out the most kids? Bama, Ohio State. Who met in the national championship? Bama, Ohio State. But then there are some outliers. As I said, the NFL draft can be a a very good truth teller or a very tough truth teller. Because with Michigan, I look at the results and you've got what you need. You've got talent coming in adequately. You've got talent being developed adequately. But if you're a Michigan fan, none of that really matters to you. It's great. It's a nice source of pride. But when you look at the on-field product and you say, we're not only not performing equal to or relatively equal to that that you would expect a team that just pumped out 18 draft picks over a two-year span. We are actually operating at a standard below some of the programs that are pumping out fractions of the amount of NFL talent that we are. Now, I think the answer to fixing that is layered. Maybe they've already answered it, but I was just looking that over. And I mean, that's 18 kids the last two years. Now, the good news for Michigan is if that's the case, which it is, we just did the math for you, If that's the case, that doesn't mean a big overhaul is needed. That doesn't mean fundamental changes or foundational changes are needed. A lot of times, if you got a program that already has the talent level there and the development there, you just took care of a whole lot because there are a lot of good coaches out there. There are a lot of really good run programs out there that don't have the talent, and therefore they can't develop it and all that. So if you you got the A and the only B that's needed is, well, we got to maybe fix something procedurally around here, that's a tweak. A lot of times that's a tweak. It's not a fundamental change. So I guess that's a ray of hope for Michigan fans. Uh, let's move on here because I wanted to zoom in. You may have noticed I didn't talk a whole lot about Alabama. And that just really doesn't seem like what we do on this show, does it? Eight of the top 38 picks in the NFL draft were from the University of Alabama. Six in the first round overall. And so that ties the 04 Miami record. I really thought they were going to break the record. I thought Barmore was going to go um, top 32, which would make him a first-round draft pick. I want to tell you a story about a recruiting class. It sounds like a fable, but it's not. It's real life. The 2017 Alabama recruiting class, we can already call it the best ever. And the thing about it is some of these guys are still playing. All of that class hasn't even wrapped up their collective careers And yet already, you don't even get pushback in the industry anymore. Everyone just accepts fans of rival teams already accept, with some of the careers still ongoing, that that 17 class for Alabama, got to be the greatest of all time. I want you to listen to these names. All of these players signed in the same class. Najee Harris, first round. Alex Leatherwood, first round. Jerry Judy, first round. Devontae Smith, first round. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, first round. Henry Ruggs, first round. Mac Jones, first round. Jedrick Wills, 
first round. Xavier McKinney was a second round kid. The long snapper, Thomas Fletcher got drafted, ironically or shockingly, ahead of Dylan Moses. Now that's a prop bet that if I would have given it to you even this time last year, much less two or three years ago, you probably could have made some money on, man, the long snapper from Alabama's 17 recruiting class got drafted. And by the way, don't put a bow on it yet. That class has already produced eight first round draft picks one recruiting class. I'm going to tell you how wild that is if you don't already realize it in just a second. LeBron Ray is still playing. That's a former five-star kid. Chris Allen, high four-star kid, still playing. Fidarian Mathis, still playing. Brian Robinson, still playing. And Kendall Randolph, still playing. That is one, two, three, four. That's five more kids that are going to have starting or borderline starting roles on this year's team. So who's to say they might not tack on one or two more? Because some of those guys have first-round upside. For whatever reason, it hasn't happened quite yet. But my goodness, we talk a lot during the season about something called a padlock stat. And around here, what our padlock stat is, is coming out of a game, what I like to do is if I were to have been able to just tell you this one thing and nothing else about a game on Saturday, if I would have told you that one thing on Friday, You wouldn't have even had to watch the game. You would have just known what the outcome was going to be. And a lot of times it's like if you would have known Clemson was going to have 8.1 yards per carry, then you probably would have known not much use turning on that game. Well, I don't know if these are padlock stats because these aren't to one game. But this is probably a collection of the craziest stats I've ever heard. I'm going to say it again because I want to clip this later. These two stats are going to straight up blow your mind. Alabama's 2017 recruiting class. As I just said, eight first-rounders already, maybe still more to come. Keep that number in mind. Eight total first-rounders from Alabama's 2017 recruiting class because I looked it up. Central Florida, pretty big-time program in the G5 level. Cincinnati, pretty big-time program as well in the G5 level. Those two programs combined in the entire history of their college football existence have produced six first-round draft picks. Bama had more in one recruiting class. Two more, actually, in one recruiting class at least then those two programs at the very tippy top of G5 have had in their entire existence combined. But I would argue this stat's even better. Nick Saban at Alabama, as of this very moment, May 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2021, has 39 first-round draft picks and 23 total losses in his time at Alabama. Let me repeat it again for those in the back or those who may be in the kitchen washing dishes. Nick Saban, greatest of all time. Evidence, 39 first-round draft picks in his time at Alabama, 23 losses in his time at Alabama. And that counts the first year, guys, where I think they lost six. So there you go. Oh, by the way, before we move on, just a quick reminder. That 2017 recruiting class we've been talking about for about the past five minutes or so, it was the number one class in the country. I don't think that's any surprise. It was rated, according to the 24-7 Sports team composite, 323.87. That's an absurdly high rating. But it was topped by the class they just signed, which was rated 327.91. So the one they just brought in on paper is solidly rated higher than the 2017 class. And the kids in the 2017 class weren't underrated. They were were rated, and then a lot of them just fulfilled their immense talent, potential, whatnot. Uh, The class they just brought in is off the charts insane. You're watching not only the greatest head coach in the history of college football in this show's opinion, but also one of the very best coaches in the history of American sports, and he's been on the show twice in the last year. So do we play favorites? Do we have bias? Yes, we do. I think in the head coach at Alabama's case, it's been earned, though. 
This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. New original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire now streaming on Paramount Plus. Now we got to talk about some actual football that happened yesterday because there were a couple of spring games. Now, there were several, and I, as I told you in the chat right before we went on the air, I would strongly suggest you check out the two podcasts this week, the Tuesday and Thursday morning editions, the Late Kick Extra, which if you're not checking that out, I would advise you to do because I get great feedback on that. A lot of people, maybe even yours truly included, think it's the best overall content that we do all week because it's all Q&A. So you never know what's going to be in the show, and you totally control that, even more so than this show. So anyway... I may talk about many more spring games this week and some feedback from that that either I get after tonight, which is Sunday as we record live, or I may just not have time for tonight. But Notre Dame had their spring game yesterday. And this quarterback battle at Notre Dame kind of been under the radar a little bit. I know right when the outset of spring happened, we were talking a lot about Tyler Buckner in the context of Buckner and J.J. McCarthy at Michigan and Ty Thompson, for instance, at Oregon. And How many, if any, of these true freshman quarterbacks, these early enrollee true freshman quarterbacks, were going to be able to come in and make some noise as it relates to the starting job? Well, at Notre Dame, I think to much less a national recognition, Jack Cohn came in. Now, Jack Cohn, who we used to call Jack Doan, who's a former pro wrestling referee, easy to see how you get those names mixed up. Uh, Cohn's got a little bit better arm talent than Doan did. But he, along with Drew Pine, they're involved, obviously, in this quarterback battle as well. And I was listening to Brian Kelly talk a little bit after the spring game yesterday, and it's very obvious to me, and this is kind of a trend, to be honest with you, with with a lot of these young quarterbacks, which is no surprise, it's the norm, Tyler Butner's not there yet. Now, I don't think they expected him to be there yet, but here's the good thing. They got an option, a proven option, a guy that used to play at Wisconsin, took him to a Big Ten title game, for example, in Jack Combe, street name Jack Doan. And so they feel good about him. I'm using the word good intentionally, because great would indicate they think they have national championship potential under Jack Cohn. I don't believe they think that right now. Now, the good thing about Brian Kelly is he doesn't mince words. He's brutally honest. Like, there is no veil. It's, it's like the anti-Gus Malzahn approach. Malzahn would have about the same five or six pre-constructed sentences and phrases for every question you could ever ask him. Brian Kelly, it's like he's got a polygraph hooked up to his arm. He just gives it to you. And he's respectful in his answer, but he said... You know, Tyler Butner's done some good things, but he's a little ways away. He's a true freshman, so duh. And he didn't get to play high school ball last year. So Butner, the irony here, if you watched the spring game, which Colin, I think they had it on the Peacock app, streaming app, uh, which we don't own, so I'm not going to mention it again. But that was weird. So I didn't get to catch it. So I had to watch a very, very sketch put together replay, shall I say. 
Tyler Buckner led the only two touchdown drives. So this is one of those classic, did you watch just the spring game or did you check out the spring game and read your practice reports and listen to your whispers and intel on this program, for instance, because Tyler Buckner is not the leader in the clubhouse for this job. The best intel out of Notre Dame that we've had, and it's been consistent, is this is Jack Cohn's job. They're not going to announce that. It certainly hasn't been announced nor should they, for obvious reasons, I think. But nothing changed Saturday, is my point, in the spring game for Notre Dame. So they're encouraged with his arm strength. Now, this is what I want to really zoom in on. You're going to get a lot of folks who are going to look at Jack Cohn, and I may be among them, just to be brutally honest with you, and they may look at him and they say, well, is this really an upgrade? Like, you're going from Ian Book, who, by the way, was drafted in the fourth round a couple of, what was it, yesterday, two days ago at this point, So not a bad quarterback there uh, by any stretch. Now, he set a lot of records at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly mentioned as much yesterday. Ian Book rewrote the record books here, and yet we're looking for an upgrade. And we're not going to be happy until we have an upgrade, and that's fine. And, you know, he's one of these dudes who embraces the pressure. He's fine with it. And he's fine with criticism of the program. But they, I think, know they have a little bit better arm talent at quarterback than I think the national perception is going to be. Whether that manifests itself into more gaudy passing statistics, we'll see. I mean, they made an effort to push it down the field at times yesterday, but it's a spring game, so I don't really know what that means necessarily. Tight end looks like a strength yet again this year for about the 47th year in a row. The wide receiver unit is good. Lawrence Keyes is the guy that stood out to me. Like That's a guy who flashed because the thing about these good receiver rooms is you can have a good receiver room, And if you play some inferior competition, you can run up some numbers on them. But what you find is if you don't have any true alpha type receivers, if they're all good, but the ceiling is good, then they can get shut down against really like future NFL type defensive backs. Well, guys like Lawrence Keyes, ideally we could clone him and have two or three more guys like him are the kind where if you got that piece in place, then everything else works off of that. Uh, which makes their health vital, obviously. But number two, the entire rest of the wide receiver unit can kind of work off that. So they've got names, like they got some guys. It's not a barren receiver room by any stretch. I would argue it's a strength of that team. But they got to have that hierarchy emerge. Offensive line is something Brian Kelly and his staff spent a lot of time on in spring. They're going to have to spend a lot of time on it leading into the fall. Uh, you ask people up there, and there are a couple of different iterations they would give you as to which starting five they're going to carry into Tallahassee. They open, by the way, against Florida State on the road. It's not a neutral site game. It's going to be Labor Day weekend, Sunday, standalone game, probably about 114 degrees. It's going to be great. So offensive line's a question there, but this feels like a, I would call it a New Year's Six caliber team. The kind of team that goes to the Cotton Bowl in a non-playoff year, something like that. A team that, that kind of hovers around that level with maybe the ceiling of if the spark happens, you know, if a, a critical mass of these pieces that we have question marks about, if they all gel, then that's a team that could back into the playoff. I'm back in, A team that could earn their way into the playoff. They got really good depth, defensive line, linebacker. I think they feel as good about the front seven as they have in quite a while, and the hope is if you got questions on offensive line, for example, I don't think they have really questions at quarterback because you got an experienced guy there. But if you do have questions there, if you're trying to figure stuff out in the fall, hopefully you got a defense that will allow you some time because we're showing the schedule right now. If you're, um, if you're listening on podcasts, they open it at Florida State, and that is a game they should be favored in. I'm not going to call it easy by any stretch. But then they got a winnable one against Toledo, against Purdue, and then that week four game against Wisconsin. I was trying to map out my own schedule for this fall. The thing about a Notre Dame schedule is you got to be very careful 
as I get into the chat and block some people. As you look at a Notre Dame schedule, a lot of times you got to be careful because they play a lot of neutral site games. So that week four game, you think, oh, that's a home game in South Bend. Well, it's actually down the road in Chicago, and they play that one at Soldier Field. So I don't know that I'm going to be at that one. I do know that game against North Carolina, day before Halloween, that's going to be really enticing. But Brian Kelly, again, brutal honesty from him all the time, expect nothing less. He talked at the outset of spring and then at the end of spring, and he'll talk about this all summer long, about how they don't worry about being good. They understand they can be good now. They've been good for several years. What he wants to be is he wants to win a national championship. We had him on the show last year. Uh, It was around this time last year. And he was, I loved him so much because he was so honest about it. And he said, I know what the expectation is. I know we hadn't gotten it done. And we know what it takes. But here's where Brian Kelly is with Notre Dame, and then I'll move on. Every one of us has been there, whether you know it or not. I was there just last night. And where there is, is when you got the toothpaste tube, and you have emptied out pretty much every ounce of toothpaste in that tube, and then you tell yourself, I'll go to the store tomorrow. But then you get home, and you realize. You get to the sink at night. Contacts are out. Last thing you got to do, and you realize, I forgot to go to the store today. Can I get one more brush's worth of toothpaste out of that tube? Well, picture how hard it is to do that. Some of you break out scissors. I've just been a grind it on the edge until it works approach. But as hard as that is, that's what they're trying to do because they try so hard. Like they've developed good, they've sent kids to the draft, and they're there. In some cases, they've made the playoff. They're on the precipice. They played Alabama tough in the playoff, but yet you also realize the gap that still exists, and you wonder. We feel like we've squeezed every ounce of toothpaste we can out of here. How do we get it out? Well, the way you get it out is you got to be better at quarterback, and that's not an overnight process. But outside of that, and they do not have a dynamic first-round draft pick in all likelihood on this roster at quarterback this year, so how do you get it? Well, that's the rhetorical question. That's what they have to figure out. Oregon had their spring game yesterday. Now, this one's fun. So the Oregon spring game was not on an app. I was able to watch this one. This is a swing program. It's a swing program just for Oregon fans if you don't care about anything other than Oregon football. But if you're a Wisconsin fan or you're a Virginia Tech fan or a Texas fan everywhere in between, this program this year, Oregon, is one that could very well affect where you spend your postseason. I'm going to tell you why. Because this is one where it's very feasible to see 9-3, and but it's also very feasible for this to be a playoff team. They're good. This is obviously the best roster that they've had under Mario Cristobal. Recruiting's been very, very good. So year over year, you're going to see those incremental increases. But this is another quarterback room we've been focused on. Again, familiar theme here. I just mentioned his name like five minutes ago, Ty Thompson, coming out of Arizona. We were asking, is this a guy that's going to walk in that room, even though Anthony Brown's there and he's as close to 30 years old as he is to high school, and even though you got a couple of guys like um, you got Ashford in there, Robbie Ashford, more on him in just a second, Jay Butterfield, more on him in just a second, Ty Thompson, because of that stellar high school rating, we understand the upside there. Is he a guy that's going to come in there and just take that job? Y'all, because there's going to be a true freshman out there every year who does it, and so you wonder, is this going to be that guy? Well, pre-spring, had some good intel on this and half throughout. Pre-spring, my thought was, I think it's going to come down to Anthony Brown, the Boston College transfer who's been there, and, and he is very, very seasoned. Let's just say that. I mean, he's in his mid-20s. I'm not joking around when I say he's pretty old. So I thought it was going to be him, and I thought it was going to be Ty Thompson. Mid-spring is when I start to get some feedback from someone I trust really close to the program out there. And it was Ty Thompson still has a ways to go. It's, two things are obvious. 
It's obvious he has a ways to go, and it's obvious why he was rated what he was rated in high school, which is no different than you hear for a vast majority of true freshmen in the spring. But then you start to be told, hey, Anthony Brown's got this job right now. I'm not saying he's going to start, but he's got this job right now. But I'll tell you, Jay Butterfield looks pretty good. Robbie Ashford looks pretty good. And so you start thinking, wow, they got several guys they probably think that they could win with, and maybe not an elite option in that room, but several they think they can win with, which brings us to yesterday. And I was reading the guys over at DuckTerritory.com earlier today. And by the way, farewell to Kevin Wade, leaving out there to uh, head into other ventures. So we wish you well from all of us at Late Kick to Kevin, uh, friend of the uh, program for as long as the program has existed. But Matt Prem and uh, Eric Scopel over there, they were covering the game as only they can, and they had blowout coverage. on. If you're not a member of DuckTerritory.com and you're an Oregon fan, what are you doing with your money? A few less packs of ramen noodles per week and shell out for that. I think it's $9.99 a month. Come on now. But they had blowout coverage over there. So they saw what they saw, but they saw largely what I saw. And most importantly, if you listen to Mario Cristobal, I think we all have seen what Mario Cristobal and his staff, Joe Moorhead and the offensive coordinator there and his staff, what they had seen. And that was Anthony Brown's the leader for this job right now, quarterback. And I don't think that's going to change just for the record. But the true battle could be for that number two spot. And this is what the guys over at Duck Territory were talking about earlier today. And I think that's really fascinating because I don't think that's been decided. I saw Matt, for instance, say, I think that Jay Butterfield's the number two right now. Having said that, though, and this is where I'm entering into the equation, this is my opinion. What happens a lot of times when you get a true freshman is you just throw as much against the wall as you can in spring, so Ty Thompson, in other words, and then you see what sticks, and then it falls to the ground, and then you just regroup and you head into summer workouts and fall camp. But what can happen is, and the more guys you have in the equation, the more likely it is to happen for someone, you see a quantum leap. Guy shows up in August, totally different than he was when you left him in the spring. So when I say that Jay Butterfield, I'm totally fine with you considering him the number two there right now, that's cool. I probably agree with you. What I'm saying is I'm not ready to just conclude that that's the way it's going to stack up come fall because I don't know what in the world Ty Thompson is going to look like in August, and I don't know how much different it could be than what he looks like at the beginning of May. But talking again to someone I trust out there, Anthony Brown, the guy right now at quarterback, I don't expect that to change. Jay Butterfield, probably the number two right now. I would agree with that. Don't expect that to change. But I think there's such a wild variance right now. We're still in the quarterback room and Ty Thompson, what he could be. Because there's a lot of erraticism, if you will, about his game right now. There's a lot of ups. There's a lot of downs. There's that play in practice that makes you go, whoa. And I'll tell you what it's like. If you could peer into Watson Stadium and watch a closed scrimmage and you peered in at the right time, you'd see Ty Thompson make a throw or make a play that would put your jaw on the ground. And then the security shooed you away. And that was the only piece of footage or access you had to spring, you would think that guy's going to start at quarterback. There's no one else on this team that could make that throw. And you'd be right. But what you wouldn't have seen is all the times he got it wrong. That's one of the big dangers of highlight film. I've seen it happen many times before. You're impressed and you want to crown a guy because you see when he finally is able to get it right. The coaching staff wants him to do it until he can't get it wrong. Big difference there. Big, there you go. Big difference there. But Robbie Ashford's a name that's interesting. Robbie Ashford probably would be playing baseball right now professionally, if not for COVID. However, there was COVID. And so the whole minor league system got thrown into a tailspin last year. So he's there. Robbie Ashford's a guy that some people around Oregon feel 
if he were to stick it out in football, has kind of like a, a Mac Jones vibe to him of not going to come in and start early, but has all the tools, has the acumen, can progress year over year, and all of a sudden you look up a few years down the road and Robbie Ashford is not only playing quarterback for Oregon, but he's doing it at a very high level. But they got tons of weapons. See, this is not like, for example, what we've talked about with Auburn. Auburn doesn't have a quarterback controversy on their hands, but it's Bo Nix and what? The cupboard is relatively bare at wide receiver. At Oregon, they got the best wide receiver situation they've had maybe since I can remember. Their tight end room is loaded. They're good in the backfield. Their big question is on the offensive line, which is exactly what their head coach is known for. So I'm just going to blindly trust that they get that figured out. But they got so many weapons to the point where you look at Anthony Brown and you say, okay, maybe his ceiling is just very good. But imagine what this wide receiver core could do for him. You know, this may be a guy who's able to play above his skis production-wise just because of all these weapons we have out here. I guess the question early on, if that, if that quarterback situation gets a little muddy, is kind of like we were asking about another program earlier, will the offensive line buy them time? Or in this case, see, Oregon's got a really loaded defense this year too. Will the defense buy them time? Because they keep saying goodbye to guys, and then you keep looking at the replacements and you say, well, they look a little bit better. And they were missing some corners yesterday. So there were some defensive backs that you would really in an ideal world have liked to have seen that you didn't get to see. But this can be a fringe playoff team. This could be a team that makes you say at the year's end, oh, they're one season away. It turns out they were one season away. Thus, the hinge factor. That hinge factor, you know, Oregon could in a kind of pinball sort of way, decide the fate of a second SEC team or a second Big Ten team trying to get into the playoff. So you never know how that's going to work out. I also wanted to remind you, as I get that hiccup out of the way, before we wrap the show up, I had a couple of spots open for Zoom consultations this week. So I didn't say anything about it last week, so I wanted to get through the week. Uh, they're going to be first come, first serve. Had some really good sessions last week, and I'm, I can't announce them publicly yet because they're not public. But there are some people, a couple of them, who have taken part in those Zoom consultations with me that are signing documents this week with various media entities and outlets. And I'm not taking credit for it. They deserve all the credit. What I'm saying is it just made me very happy because some of that work started to pay off. So if you're interested in sports media or anything else, YouTube channel, podcast, whatever, and you're kind of, kind of on the cliff, you're looking over it, but you don't know if you should jump, go ahead and do it. And right before you do it, email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or you can DM me on any of the social platforms at Josh, and we'll see if uh, we can schedule a Zoom consultation for you. So I'm opening those up as soon as I get off the air, first come, first serve. Don't have many spots open this week, but do have a couple. So uh, book that if that sounds like that's something you're interested in. Really good show. We will be back here same time live Thursday night. We also have the Late Kick Extra podcast that drops on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. No off-season around here. Never has been, never will be. For Director Emeritus Colin, for Jesse and the entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to the week, and God bless. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.